Disclaimer. South Park is the property of Trey Parker and Matt Stone. All opinions voiced are our own and not theirs. The following program contains educational course language and due to its hilariously inappropriate content should not be listened to by anyone. Welcome to episode 16. My name's Amanda. And I'm Sophie. We've already tackled some foul topics, and we're excited to bring you more. The South Park podcast is nothing like you've heard, as it dives into the complex social constructs and issues that South Park plays off. We hope you leave today thinking, I learned something today, and had a chuckle. Today's South Park episode is season 2, episode 4, Chicken Lover. This episode touches on illiteracy and police brutality. Quick trigger warning, this episode does reference sexual assault, however, we will not be talking about it in our topics, so feel free to skip over the recap. Before we start, let's do a recap. We're going to read you the recap because you don't have time for that. In this episode, the third grade class visits the bookmobile, whose driver considers reading to be magical. Outside of the bookmobile, someone has apparently sexually assaulted a chicken. When Officer Barbrady starts the investigation, he is confronted with his inability to read when he is unable to read a note left by the attacker, the quote, chicken fucker. He resigns in shame and anarchy immediately breaks out, proving that, as unintelligent as he is, Barbrady does keep order in town. Barbrady is put into the boys' class to learn to read. Meanwhile, the chicken lover, as he is called, as the adults do not think it would be socially appropriate to call the attacker chicken fucker, strikes again. Officer Barbrady's book report on Go Dog Go gets an A, and he starts to enjoy school life a little too much. Mayor McDaniels forces him to learn reading more quickly to solve the case. He promotes the boys to deputies to help him in his task. From then on, Cartman patrols the town on his big wheel, forcing his own brand of justice and dealing violently with those who fail to respect his authority. In a jab at the show Cops, Cartman upholds the law by attacking Randy Marsh with a nightstick for allegedly breaking the speed limit. Meanwhile, Barbrady puts some clues together by reading some children's books. When he almost gives up, the boys keep up his spirits. Ultimately, Barbrady is successful and through his reading learns that the chicken lover plans to strike the petting zoo next. The chicken fucker is finally caught in the act at the petting zoo. He turns out to be the bookmobile driver, who actually started molesting chickens before Barb Brady admitted that he could not read. The bookmobile driver insists that the only way he could get Barb Brady to read was by sexually assaulting chickens. He gives Barb Brady a copy of Anne Rand's Atlas Shrugged, which convinces Barb Brady that reading totally sucks ass. Barb Brady then kills the chicken fucker by hitting him in the head with a nightstick. In the end, Barb Brady decides to take a hot bath and curl up with a nice book before giving a prolonged thumbs up to the camera. Yeah, we say mobile differently. I realize that. Do we? You say it, you say it the British way. Like, oh. mo- mobile? Mobile? Yeah, you say it like mobile. And I say it like mobile. <laughs> That's just English-Canadian differences. I love it. I'm not correcting you because I love the way that you say it. So I just wanted you to know that the I've way that noticed. I say it. So. <laughs> yeah, you said it like mobile. And mobile makes me think of like, like the mobiles. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. mobiles too, yeah. <laughs> oh, so yeah, in case you're wondering why I said mobile, I'm like, this is how in Canada we say <laughs> Honestly, I, I didn't even notice. Say. I did not notice the difference until you were like, oh, they're different. I was like, what? <laughs> <laughs> it's like the shattered glass. <laughs> glass breaking. <laughs> so to start, Amanda, how far would you go to teach someone to read? 
I know you guys can't see me, so I just made a face of like, oh god, how far would I go? Um, you wouldn't go as far as the bookmobile guy. Nope, god no. Nope, 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 nope. I'd probably just like leave an array of children's books around and like a trail leading to a cupcake or something. <laughs> oh, that would motivate me. <laughs> it's actually interesting too, because I don't personally remember when I got to Canada and how they were teaching kids to read, but in England when we're learning to read, all the letters are the the sounds. So I remember like my cousins would be like, oh, like Sophie, can you help me spell something? And I would say, yeah, sure, you know, and it's like my name, S-O-P-H-I-E. And they'd be like, no, can you do it like phonetically basically? So it'd be like, S-U-P-H-I-E-H, right? And, that, and that's just like how they learn to read. But I can't remember what we did here. Not I, that. No, yeah. Mm -hmm. So just to learn sounds. But anyway, <laughs> how to read. <laughs> But take a second and think about all the reading you do in a day. You read your street signs as you make your way to work, any text messages, social media posts. If you take any prescriptions, you've got to read the instructions on the bottle. Any bills you get, just any forms you have to fill out. There's so much reading we do in a day that we don't even realize. Unlike medieval times when reading and writing skills were restricted to a few elites and the clergy and men, literacy skills are now expected from every member of society. Literacy is therefore considered human right essential for lifelong learning and social change. However, illiteracy is still an issue today. A really good example is that we used to work with someone who, at her previous job, there were lots of people who would come in and they couldn't read. They couldn't read the forms, they couldn't read any documentations, any, any of the signs, like yeah. nothing. So what they would occasionally say is, oh, I've forgotten my glasses. Could you read it for me? So they basically came up with a way so that people didn't feel embarrassed and things like that. So that they were getting the information they needed. They weren't signing anything. They didn't know what they were signing, but also didn't have to be like, unfortunately, I cannot read this. So I don't understand it, right? Despite relatively high education rates, an analysis of international assessments by Statistics Canada in 2013 showed that more than one in six adult Canadians fell short of passing the most basic set of literacy tests. Canada's results shows that many in this country are unable to complete ordinary tasks such as filling out a job application, reading a news article, or sending an email. But why could this be? An example could be that for years, Canada had an abundance of high-paying jobs that didn't require high levels of literacy, such as natural resource-based jobs. At the height of the oil boom, Alberta had a higher high school dropout rate than several other provinces. That does not surprise me. No, it makes sense, right? If you're going to get a job right out of school that's going to pay lots of money and you don't have to worry about any document typing or reading or anything, sure, I'm mm -hmm. doing Though it is a lot of work. <laughs> it's a lot of physical labor. It's like, it's getting paid for your body rather than getting paid for your brain. And there's nothing wrong with that. We get paid for our brains because we can't get paid for our body. <laughs> no, exactly. <laughs> and I mean, I don't think I talk about it in this much, but a really good point is that the reason why we're finding out that so many Canadians don't have the literacy skills to send an email or fill out these documents and stuff is because they had jobs like driving truck, like semis, or working for the oil field. But a lot of these jobs are now being taken over by robotics and computers. So there's a lot of people coming into the job market, especially after COVID-19, who don't have the necessary skills to be able to apply for certain jobs. Unfortunately, what we learn in high school 
you still have more to learn once you're out of there, but a lot of people don't have access to that. So that's also another thing. So the ongoing push to develop literacy skills in children and adults is indicative of the value of literacy to individuals' ability to get and keep a job. Inadequate literacy skills hurt individuals' potential for landing jobs, as well as prevent a risk for health and safety incidents in the workplace. Individuals who don't have the requisite reading and comprehension skills might not be able to understand written manuals, warning symbols, and instructions in the workplace. But adequate literacy skills are not only an economical issue, they have profound social consequences as well. For example, individuals with inadequate literacy skills are more likely to report bad health, be less politically engaged, and to be more socially isolated. Another challenge that comes with low literacy is the difficulty in understanding information needed to make informed decisions. This is really interesting. 49% of the Canadian population does not hit a level of literacy that can, quote, disregard irrelevant or inappropriate content to accurately answer questions about something they have read. The impact of this has perhaps become more clear with the rise of online disinformation and fake news. On the internet, there's no shortage of bad information to push people into making badly informed decisions. Researchers say those who struggle with reading and writing tend to also perform poorly on the digital format. I guess a really good example is that with social media and the fake news, a lot of people will share those articles without reading them, right? Because the headline just says a thing. But a lot of the way of our media posts is that the headline has sometimes nothing to do with what is actually in the content. So if people are having lower reading and writing skills and they're just sharing all this misinformation, it's just kind of like a boiling pot of misinformation. Uh, the last thing I wanted to touch on is reading disabilities. Watching the episode when Officer Bar Brady was trying to read signs and the letters were jumping off the page reminded me of dyslexia. The National Institute of Neurological Disorders and Stroke defines reading disability or dyslexia as follows. Dyslexia is a brain-based type of learning disability that specifically impairs a person's ability to read. These individuals typically read at levels significantly lower than expected despite having normal intelligence. Although the disorder varies from person to person, common characteristics among people with dyslexia are difficulty with spelling, phonological processing, which is the manipulation of sounds, and rapid visual verbal responding. In adults, dyslexia often occurs after a brain injury or in the context of dementia. It can also be inherited in some families, and recent studies have identified a number of genes that may predispose an individual to developing dyslexia." End quote. It is estimated that 15 to 20% of the population has dyslexia. In Canada, that's an estimated 5 million people. So in every classroom, there's likely four or five students who have difficulty reading and writing. Now what we wanna do for each episode is provide you with a place to learn more. I picked two organizations, one that helps illiteracy in adults and one that provides books to kids. So the first one is ABC Life Literacy Canada. It's a nonprofit organization that aims to strengthen organizations that promote adult learning. They offer a variety of free programs and resources for community learning organizations. Their programs touch on all areas of literacy from family and workplace literacy to financial and digital literacy. And the Indigo Love of Reading Foundation gives Canadian high needs elementary schools funds to purchase the books and educational resources they need. Many elementary schools in economically disadvantaged communities in Canada have limited library budgets. This leaves vulnerable students with inadequate school libraries filled with outdated, tattered and unappealing books. Please donate if you can or look into them if there's any way that you can volunteer. Okay, guys, my turn to depress the shit out of you. Yay. <laughs> so in this episode, we see our own sweet Carmen fall victim to the woos of police brutality. Yeah, sweet Carmen. 
I think that the way South Park portrayed this was absolutely beautiful and unfortunately all too accurate. So rather than attempt to explain why police brutality exists or why some members of our community find themselves victims to those who are meant to protect them, I'm going to go over some accounts of police brutality here in Canada. So starting with Alberta. In 1999, an RCMP constable, Michael Ferguson, fatally shot Darren Varley after Varley attacked him in a jail cell. He was convicted of manslaughter, allowed to serve it under house arrest till 2006, and was paroled in 2007, after two months in jail. The trial judge had decided the mandatory minimum sentence of four years in prison would be cruel and unusual punishment in his case. However, that decision was overturned by the court appeal, which imposed the minimum sentence of four years in prison. The court appeal's decision was upheld on further appeal to the Supreme Court. March 10, 2020, Alan Adam, chief of the Askabatha Chippewayan First Nations, was stopped by RCMP officers in Fort McMurray regarding an expired license plate. The officer and Adam argued, and Adam swore at the officer. When the officer tried to arrest Adam's wife, Adam pushed the officer. The officer again spoke with the wife, during which Adam jumped from the vehicle and yelled at the officer. The officer told him to return to the car and grabbed his left arm as if he was about to arrest him. A second officer arrived at the scene, tackled Adam, punched him in the head, placed him in a headlock, and told him not to resist officers. The RCMP ruled the arresting officer's actions, quote, did not meet the threshold for an external investigation, unquote. Adams was charged for resisting arrest and assaulting a police officer and was released from custody the next day. Charges against Adam were later dropped. Okay, well that's good. Yeah. But slight victory. <laughs> to think like this was 2020 and that's a chief. Yeah. Someone who is of high power, respected. Within their community. Mm-hmm. And they're being treated like this. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Moving on to British Columbia, 1918, Dominion Police Special Constable Dan Campbell shot and killed Ginger Goodwin, a popular radical who was avoiding conscription. Okay. No, just, I didn't know Canada had conscription, so that's a... Well, this was 1918, so mm, maybe. For the war, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Protests inspired the 1918 Vancouver general strike. Oh, okay. February 2012, Jordan Dick, a passenger at the Vancouver Skytrain station, was physically assaulted and pepper sprayed by two Metro Vancouver Transit police officers. In 2015, the officers were found guilty of assault. July 18, 2015, Hudson Brooks was involved in an altercation with two police officers and was shot nine times and killed by Constable Elizabeth Turin. Brooks was unarmed and clad only in boxer shorts at the time. In August 2015, at least six Vancouver police officers attempted to restrain Miles Gray and killed him in the process. Mr. Gray suffered a fractured voice box, nasal fracture, dislocated jaw, a fractured right orbital eye socket, a fractured hip, a fractured sternum, hemorrhagic injury to one testicle, and multifocal bruising to his thigh and right arm. Getting the police to cooperate in the investigation has proven difficult, as a number of involved officers have so far refused in April 2018 to provide testimony. Since there are no other eyewitnesses other than the six officers and no body cams were worn, it has been a challenge for the family to find out what happens, and the family has actually launched a million-dollar civil suit. In January 20th, 2020, surveillance footage showed Mona Wang, a 20-year-old nursing student who seemed unconscious, being dragged down the halls of her student apartment complex in Kelowna by RCMP officer Constable Lacey Browning. Footage also shows Browning stepping on Wang's head. 
Wang was having a mental health issue and her boyfriend called the RCMP to do a wellness check. When Browning arrived, Wang had ingested wine and medication and had self-harmed with a box cutter. Wang alleges Brown used excessive force during the check, at one point kicking Wang in the stomach and punching her and leaving her with bruises in her face while shouting to stop being so dramatic. Wang has filed a civil suit against the RCMP. On February 8th, 2021, Constable J. Kim wrongfully identified a young man riding his bike in the early hours of the morning as a suspected armed robber. After complying with the officer's demand, Constable J. Kim smashed the young man into the concrete, causing bones to break in his face. The young man was later released by RCMP to the care of Surrey Memorial Hospital when they later realized he was not the person they were looking for after all. A statement from the officer has yet to be issued. The victim is reaching out to media outlets and seeking legal attention against the offending officer. Okay, everyone everyone makes mistakes, but like, can you imagine? So you did all that and then you got the wrong guy. Like you can't be like, oh, sorry there, bud. We thought you were the guy. Oh, we're sorry about that. We're just gonna pat you. You broke bones in this guy's face. His face. <sighs> yeah. Moving on to Manitoba. In 1919, in the face of a major unrest during the Winnipeg General Strike, the RCMP charged in on horseback into a crowd of strikers on June 21st, beating them with clubs and firing weapons. This violence action resulted in many injuries and the death of two strikers. This day has been come to known as Bloody Saturday. May 22nd, 2014, members of the Winnipeg Police Service arrested and detained Christopher Chalestain, 40, after receiving a complaint that he spit on a liquor store employee. While in the police holding cell, he headbutted a police officer who tried to confiscate his clothing for evidence. Six officers restrained, handcuffed, and hooded him during the ensuing physical altercation. He became unresponsive and died of a delirium-induced heart attack in the hospital on May 26th. An inquest into whether police officers should have taken his clothes was held. August 9, 2017. Winnipeg officers used excessive force on Richard Kashish during an arrest. Kashish died days later due to a ruptured spleen, broken ribs, and a head injury is sustained from police kicking and punching him repeatedly. An inquest was called in 2018 to determine who would be held accountable. April 9, 2020, Jason Collins was shot by Winnipeg officers at his own home. Police responded to a domestic violence gunman 911 call that originated from Collins' home. On arriving, the police heard a woman scream in distress and found Collins brandishing a gun. The police left the house, and 40 minutes after their initial arrival, an officer shot Collins while he confronted them at the front door. 40 minutes after they got there? Don't know what they were doing. Ah, <sighs> fuck. They were waiting for their... Their coffee to be delivered. Yeah. Prime moment to shoot someone, I guess. Moving on to Ontario. December 8th, 1988, 17-year-old Michael Wade Lawson was shot to death by two Peel Regional Police Constables. They were both charged with second-degree murder and aggravated assault after a preliminary hearing. Both were later acquitted by a jury. The officers claimed that the stolen vehicle driven by Lawson was approaching the officers head-on in a threatening manner, and then they discharged their firearms. An autopsy conducted by the Ontario Coroner's Office showed that the unarmed teenager was struck by a hollow blow bullet in the back of the head. This type of bullet was considered illegal at the time as hollow point bullets were not authorized for use by police officers in Ontario. In 2009, two police detectives got into a fight with a member of the Khan family in Toronto. They brought an action against the family for assault, but the judge acquitted the cons in 2013, stating that the officer had used excessive force and fabricated evidence. 
In 2010, mass protest of the G20 Toronto summit turned violent on June 26, when some demonstrators used black box tactics leading to widespread property damage. Tear gas was used for the first time in the history of Toronto, being deployed in multiple locations by muzzle blasts. Rubber bullets and pepper spray were also used against many protesters. Three protesters were confirmed by the Toronto EMS to be injured during the protests, and journalists were among the people who were beaten. Like, I'm just here for the news! I'm just trying to report! <laughs> One Toronto police constable accused of using excessive force during arrest of the G20 protester Adam Nobody has been convicted of assault with a weapon for his role. At least, like, people are getting charges. Like, sometimes it's working out. Yeah, mm-hmm. that is true. Mm-hmm. Not all the times, but some of the times. January 15, 2011, a man was stopped by police, punched in the face twice, and had his pockets searched by Toronto police officers. The victim sued Toronto Police Services for assault, battery, unlawful arrest, and violation of his chartered rights. In 2015, Justice Frederick Myers awarded the victim $27,000 and stated that the man, for the record of African descent, was racially profiled by the officers. In July 27, 2013, Sammy Yatim was shot eight times and killed by Toronto police officer James Borchillo after he brandished a knife on an empty streetcar. In 2016, Borchillo was found guilty of attempted murder and not guilty of murder. July 2017, Toronto officer Constable Michael Theralt was charged with assault for the December 16, 2016 assault of DeFont Miller, a 19-year-old black man with a pipe that led to the removal of his eye. In 2020, the court found Theron guilty and sentenced him to nine months in prison, along with 12 months probation afterwards. And finally, we're going to touch on Saskatchewan. So here in Saskatchewan, occurring from an estimated 1976 up until the early 2000s, it's assumed, members of the Saskatoon Police Service would engage in something called starlight tours. I know what you're thinking. It sounds really pretty. It sounds like a nice little tour where you're going to go out and see the star. No. Like, yeah, is it like Hollywood? We're going to go see the celebrity places. No. Not even close. This is actually an incident where officers would take Indigenous people to the edge of the city in the dead of winter and abandon them there with little clothes and often no shoes. And for those of you who don't know, sometimes our winter here in Saskatchewan can reach minus 50 degrees Celsius or negative 58 degrees Fahrenheit. And they would just leave people out there. So it's not surprising that a lot of these individuals did not survive. If you want to learn more, there is an incredible book written by Robin Maynard, Policing Black Lives, State Violence in Canada from Slavery to the Present. One thing I wanted to add is that A lot of these stories Amanda told us has me questioning why, you know? One guy gets punched in the head twice and you're thinking, what on earth made you think it was okay to punch someone, right? Even if it is, I pulled you over for a speeding ticket, kind of like how in the episode, but it doesn't mean that I get to punch you or assault you, right? At my job, I get to work a lot with the local police department and we're working with the community engagement team. So they are police officers, but for the most part, what their job is, is to have a more positive police presence. They even talk about how they know that the uniform freaks people out. 
and even they joke about they will do their shift you know take off their uniform get in their car and they see a police car and they immediately go oh god i hope i don't get pulled over you know so their job is to yeah give a more positive opinion of the police any way they can however when we talk about police brutality we are talking about innocent bystanders who are just going about their day you know and they're getting attacked by police because police have weapons and sometimes have this feeling that they are better that they have more authority or as Cartman likes to say respect my authority and so of course there's always the narrative that there are good cops and there are bad cops but cops shouldn't be killing people Cops shouldn't be killing innocent people. Cops shouldn't be killing people who have broke the law. There is no need to kill a person or to assault them. All right, we are at the part where we talk about our favorite part. So Amanda, tell us about how Kenny died. Well, of course, Kenny died right at the end. It was almost kind of hopeful for me for the entire episode of like, oh, maybe he's going to live, maybe. No, 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 they're killing my boy right at the end. So we can't not have a Kenny death. And wasn't this the episode where he kept being put in situations where he'd like die? "Uh, uh, uh." Yeah, even to the point where I think Stan was getting a little frustrated. (laughs) Oh my god, you... Oh, you're okay. Uh, Okay, cool. Okay, cool. (laughs) Whatever. (laughs) And Sophie, what was your favorite part? I do love the part when Officer Bra Brady goes through what he thinks is a drive-thru and they're like, uh, sir, this is a bank. Which reminds me of that quote where it's like, ma'am, this is a Wendy's. (laughs) For whenever something weird happens but my favorite part is when they're doing their um book report and officer Brian brady he's read go dog go it's like probably like it's a children's book so it's probably only maybe 20 pages long with like pictures and everything and he's just like the heartwarming novel go dog go it was compelling and disturbing really showing us the canine psyche and you're just like what <laughs> you, you got like you know or even the end where he's like it spirals towards an incredible twist turn that parallels my own life and you're like what man what is this dog book about <laughs> apparently it's based on a true book but um yeah that's definitely my favorite part that is a good part <laughs> We hope you enjoyed today's episode. We will be putting out episodes weekly wherever you listen to podcasts. You can find us on Twitter and Instagram. Our handle is at two female prime ministers. Reach out to us and let us know what you liked, how we can improve, and share us with your friends. If you really liked us, leave a review on Apple Podcasts so other people can find us. We hope after listening to our show today you thought, you know, I learned something today. Bye! Bye!